Hi, and thank you for joining us for In All Things, a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, State Clerk of the EPC. We pray that God uses Dean and his guests to inform and inspire you about the EPC and how God is working in and through our global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian Churches. The motto of our family of congregations is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And thank you, Rachel, as always, and thank you for tuning in to another edition of In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and we drop a new episode every Friday. And if you look for that in all of your usual outlets, whether it's Podbean or Apple Podcast, or just go to the EPC website at www.epc.org, you can get caught up on all of our episodes. And I believe this is now going to be episode number 98. This is episode 98. So we're coming up on our 100th episode, which is a pretty big deal for us. I mean, kind of crazy to think that we've been doing this now for about two years and I've had interviews with all kind of different folks, pretty much exclusively from the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, pastors, authors, leaders of different kinds, just sharing what God is doing in and through the EPC. And it's just been a real delight, kind of a surprise that this has turned into something the way it has, but you are the ones that have helped make that possible. You've liked it on social. You've shared it with your friends. You've emailed it to your elders and your pastors. And we're just grateful. We're grateful to get that word out because the EPC is really a family of churches. And this is just a conversation that's part of our family. And of course, other people are welcome at the family table. We're always room for one more. That's what my wife always says. There's always room for one more. And if you're not in the EPC and you're listening in, thank you. Glad to have you here too. And consider yourself part of the adopted EPC family. We're grateful to have you part of these important conversations too. And today is an example of that. We're going to have a conversation with a longtime EPC pastor and dear friend of mine. Tim Filston is the pastor, senior pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Thomasville, Georgia, which is just simply one of the most beautiful towns you will ever want to meet. And if you're ever looking for that getaway place to go for a weekend just to get an Airbnb or something fun to do, you cannot go wrong going to Thomasville, Georgia. And of course, you got to stay on Sunday and go to First Thomasville and, and hear Tim bring the word. So Tim, welcome to In All Things. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a delight to have you here. And we have you in the office uh, here because you're a new church health coordinator as well for the Presbyterian of Southeast. And so we'll talk a little bit more about Thomasville and pastoring and church health. But we also want to talk to Tim today about a blog that he has had for some time now called faithanddoubt.com, which I get and read regularly. And I hope maybe you might consider subscribing to that as well after today's episode, or perhaps even hear from Tim, if you're a pastor, the value of having a blog in your congregation and how that helps you lead well, we're going to dig down into those things in just a few seconds. But before we do, a word from our sponsor. Today's sponsor for In All Things is the gospel priority of church health. Church health is something we call transformation embedded in our vision statement. We aspire to be a church family that has congregations that are transformed so that others can be transformed. Now, only healthy churches reproduce other healthy churches. Only healthy churches produce disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Only healthy churches are a part of the great commission that goes to the ends of the earth with the good news of Jesus Christ. They're witnessing in their own community 
their Jerusalem, in their Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And to that extent, church health is really, in many respects, connected to all of the gospel priorities of the EPC. Because if you're part of global movement, your church is healthy, and healthy churches are part of global movement. If you're part of being an effective biblical leader or a disciple, healthy churches produce disciples who produce disciples. And if you're planting a church, well, we, we hope that you would not only plant that church as, as a healthy church, but but healthy churches are parents, partners, or patrons in, involved in the EPC efforts of carrying out the Great Commission through church planning. So church health is connected to all of it. And you'll notice we don't talk about church growth. Church growth is something that happened in the 80s and the 90s and was really, in my view, I know this sounds a little judgmental, but maybe a little gimmicky, kind of proscriptive and all about this attractional model of how can you grow numbers and measure metrics related to that. And we're just not really interested in that. We're, we're interested in what does it mean to be a vital, vibrant, healthy, biblical fellowship? And what's that look like? And we know first and foremost, what that means is we ought to have an evangelistic culture. So if your congregation is regularly hearing stories of people coming to the Lord and you're seeing baptisms, not just infant baptisms, but adult baptisms, people coming to faith in Christ, those are the kind of things that you often see in a healthy congregation. If you'd like to learn more about how your congregation could be a healthy congregation, please reach out and contact your church health coordinator for your presbytery. They may even have a health coach who could come alongside of your church one-on-one. And you can get all that information on our website at www.epc.com. Well, let's talk to one of those church health coordinators, but let's start with the healthy church that he pastors and has for some time now at First Thomasville. You've been in the EPC, Tim, for how long? And uh, maybe even rewind the tape before that, if you would, and just tell us a little bit more of your story so people can get to know you. Yeah. Been in since uh, 2007. I was at Signal Mountain Press. Yeah, we came in right about the same time then. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, actually, I was thinking, anticipating this conversation. I think we met about 20 years ago. Uh, in Orlando, at First President Orlando, I was there at the time. Yep. And we were doing a big coalition meeting. Yep. It would have been probably that January of 20, of 2002, I yeah. think it would have been. It was and, after uh, the 2001 PCUSA General Assembly. There was a meeting called, and then I think another meeting that came in Orlando shortly after that. A couple of them. And um, a little thing called New Wineskins was just a fig newton of your imagination at that time. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, but uh, I uh, am married to love of my life, Beth. I have triplets plus one. Well, and, you're uh, married to Beth? I didn't yeah. know. How does that happen? Yeah. I'm married to Beth. It worked out. Well, different, different Beth. Beths. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. I have yeah. worried there for a second. Yeah, we were married and moved to Texas in 1996. And within a year and a half, we had triplets. And one regret I have is that I wasn't able to be in the call process where I could say, hey, I've got three kids and I've been married two years. (laughs) (laughs) Just to watch them try to process that. It worked out. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, they're grown. So two boys and a girl triplets and they're they're flown and I've got one still in college and one of the triplets is married. Okay. So we've we've picked up another one. So and okay. that's that's a joy. I love yeah, that. It's a whole new season yeah. of life now. Yeah. I mean you're pivoting towards that whole new season of adult children and uh, the possibilities of them getting married and then of course that 
may portend for grandchildren. You never know, but that's yeah. a whole new season of life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and triplets, it's a gift that just keeps on giving. And giving. I have to repeat triplets because any of the men out there, the women are going, oh, triplets, oh, my goodness. You know, they, they get it right away. Men are going, yeah, what's a triplet? Uh, so yeah, I had to ask that too when they came bursting in. Is that a surprise the, to you guys? The, oh, yeah, you yeah. Know? You oh, had yeah, no idea. It was total surprise. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And um, wow. in, in fact, I think the, the tech who was doing the ultrasound, I, I thought she was in training because she was sort of marking where the egg was in the ultrasound in three different places. And I was just totally clueless. I, and, and she went over to check the, the paper where she would print it out. And I said to Beth, I whispered to her, I said, I think she's in training. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't know where this thing in is. In fact, she, you were the one that was yeah, in training. I was <laughs> just starting, yeah. So. All right. So yeah. your call to the ministry, how did that take place? Pretty early on. Actually, it's a little bit of the reason why I started the, the blog too, Faith and Doubt. The big questions. The, the dark night of the soul came early for me. And so did longing and I'll put that together for you. I was 16 years old, and an associate pastor who became a, he's a dear friend today, became my lifetime mentor. He had just come, and it was just, it was just such good timing because I had this uh, incredible summer uh, of loss. My brother was killed by a drunk driver. How mm. old um, were you? I was 16. He was 19. He had wow. just finished his freshman year in college at, at, at Harvard. And he was walking his bike along the, the street, just summertime, uh, with a friend in a broad daylight. And a guy just came along and was, was drunk and just uh, got him. And then I blew my knee out just a few weeks later. I was thinking I was going to have a soccer career in college, and that just put me on the sideline. And so I had to have a knee reconstruction. And then uh, I'm getting this out of order. That happened after I crashed my own car racing it. Mm. So I had a big summer. Yeah. You like and to do things in threes, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but that sat me down for a season to ask the big questions. And one of the things that it did for me was it just opened up uh, a sense of longing, recognizing things aren't the way they should be. Right. And, um, Don't you think everybody has that sense? Absolutely. Somewhere deep yeah. down inside, it might take something to provoke it and bring it out, but down below the surface, I think everybody has that sense. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. Yeah. And that's part of my whole angle on blogging is try to bring it to the surface. Uh, Dallas Willard said two main religions in the United States are denial and optimism. <laughs> and so uh, it's kind of, it's in there. Uh -huh. I remember sitting the first time I saw this little snarky comment. Somebody had written on a desk, Jesus is the answer, and somebody underneath it wrote, you know what's coming, right? What was the question? And, well, of course you have the question. We're primarily not thinking or feeling beings. We're desiring beings. Um, so for me, spending a season with this mentor and shadowing him, I shadowed him for a year in high school, just trying to figure out, hey, what do you do as a pastor? And realizing, boy, I could spend my life helping people explore that longing. And that longing to me is so powerful. It's just such a motivator. And, it, and if you bring somebody's longing to the surface, now they're hungering and thirsting for, for righteousness. 
And the thing about that is thinking about an audience with a blog is really a challenge, but I think there's a seeker in everyone. Uh, A.W. Tozer says, to have found God and yet to seek him is the soul's paradox of love. Mm, That's beautiful. And so I, I think that our questions are so important because they continue to surface that hunger and to aim it more clearly at what, what, what fulfills our ultimate hunger. Um, Lewis borrows that German sense of that idea of the scent of a flower we have not found, the music we have not yet heard, the news from a country we have not yet visited. So I like people's questions. I had them. It helped me, like Jacob on the, the beach, to wrestle. I like giving people permission to ask those questions because I think it brings them to a place where they can really hunger and thirst for what they ultimately need. I don't know where we got off track, uh, Tim, and that questions somehow were seen as being a sign of weakness or doubt or, or discouraged. I, I, don't, I don't get that. And I don't get you know how doubt is somehow a threat to people's need for certainty on sort of things when we're really talking about faith, which is an assurance of what we hope for and a conviction of what we don't see. And one of my favorites is kind of tucked in the middle of the Great Commission. We're like, okay, go into all the nations and make disciples, right? But the prelude to that is they were called up to the mountain. Some worshiped him and others doubted. <laughs> it's like right there, yeah. you know, um, and, and you see it all the time. Sure. Uh, and Be- I think Beekner says that doubts are the a- ants in the pants of faith. <laughs> well, you're just full of dropping these great funny? quotes. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, I, I love that. that. I love that. It's a great one. Well, permission. I mean, the psalmists, you know, all the, all the psalms give us permission to ask those questions. And, you know, the, a lot of times the way up is down. Hmm. You know, you, you've got to... You've got to have permission to ask a tough question. And, and you see the psalmist do that. He goes down and he ends up, because his questions are directed at God, he ends up at a different place. Mm. God enters in. So just to kind of cover a lot of ground real quickly, you were an associate pastor at First Orlando. You worked under Howard Eddington, I guess, I at that point. And then associate pastor at Signal Mountain, you work under Bill Dudley. I mean, That's these right. are two of our heroes and giants and incredible people. And, and you get all this mentoring and experience. And I survived them. You survived. <laughs> <laughs> they, they might say they survived me too. Oh, well, that's, that's, I've talked to Bill. That's, uh, that's the polite way that he's put it. But, oh, um, yeah. but now you're at first Thomasville. You've been there for how long? Going on 10 years. Okay. All right. It was a yeah. great congregation and I love um, it. you have a healthy uh, pastorate there and, and great leadership. And this blog that you started into yeah. this faithanddoubt.com. you mentioned to me that it really has been a, an asset to you in terms of kind of even getting ahead of some things in terms of your pastoring. Yeah. So if, sure. if, if a pastor is listening to us today and they're considering the, the possibility of should I blog? And I know this is a, a, a bit of a cross-disciplinary thing. This is a podcast interviewing a blogger. I'm not sure if that's permitted or not, but I thought for a long time about whether or not I should do a blog, and, and, and I've never, I haven't done that yet. Fell into doing this for the EPC, but you say that the, the blog actually is an asset or a tool for you in terms of helping to pastor your church. So could you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll give you an example. Being able to get ahead of tough issues sticky issues it's amazing you think about people being divided over masks you know just think about that it's incredible yeah we all lived it 
Now, I'll give you an example of how the blog has been helpful as a pastor trying to get ahead of a, a tough issue. In 2017, we had a shooting in our town, and we really should have become the next Ferguson. Now, it was a white-on-black shooting. It was a drug squad, and this is, this is tough to hear, but this was a man who was running from the law, but he was shot in broad daylight in front of a school bus load of kids and, um, and a whole neighborhood waiting for those kids. Mm. Our town seemed like a powder keg. Black Lives Matter came down. Um, this is when I began to forge some big relationships, great relationships with some black pastors in town that I now consider to be some of my dearest friends. Um, we're in and out of each other's houses, but in the middle of all that, how do you say what needs to be said with some precision? Mm. And I think sometimes you just, you have to write it and you've got to work it out. Yeah. Cause it's emotionally charged, right? I mean, exactly. if people are going to hear what you say through their own emotional lens. Yeah. You know, you think about, um, what Jonathan Hyde talks about that, the elephant and the rider, you can't always speak face to face with somebody and talk to their elephant. You know, the elephant is the emotion. The rider pretends he's in control of that elephant, but he's really just kind of steering him where he's already going. So how do you talk to people's elephant or how do you talk to the writer? And so during that time, these pastors were saying, Hey, Tim, are you, do you have our back? You know, that was the main thing. They were just saying, you know, it, it's not so much that we want retribution, but really do you, do you get that this brings to the surface a lot of sense of hurt that we have and are you with us? And so that became a way for me to weigh in, but do it without being reactive on social media. Mm. And it also, I think you were alluding to this, your writing allows you to be more precise in terms of your word choice. So important. Words matter. I try to preach in a way that connects. And so I, I try to over-prepare so that I don't say it in a way that's going to be provocative in a way that's not helpful. But when you want to talk about something really sensitive that's dividing even people in your pews, writing it in a way that helps win the person and not just the argument. That's what you want to do. And mm. I think writing has helped me do that. Win the person and not the argument. Yeah. That's something I'd like to sit with for a little bit. Wow. That's particularly apropos, isn't it? Coming into an election cycle, we're about to go into a season where I mean, it's already happened. I mean, we're still a ways away, but the whole culture is going to be caught up in this next election cycle. And, Unfortunately, I'm not sure that Christians have done a great job of distinguishing themselves from the rest of the culture and the way in which we conduct ourselves during these times. So how do we, not for political purposes, but for kingdom purposes in a highly charged political environment, how do we win the person and, and not worry about winning the argument? Because it seems like we're worried about winning the argument. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think what we're trying to do is look for that third way that's not a mushy middle. It's a solid center. It, it blows my mind to think about, and it always will, to think about uh, John 1, 14, that Jesus walked among us full of grace and truth. You know, he didn't err on the side of grace. He didn't err on the side of truth. He didn't say, well, I'm indifferent and I'm just going to give you a pass or I, I've got truth like a weapon. He was full of it. And so full of gr both grace and truth at the same time. And uh, I think that's a hard place to be, but that's where we're called. And as you think about this election cycle, and everybody, everybody's a pastor is looking forward to it with 
fear and trepidation. You yeah. know, how do I help people connect full of grace and truth rather than just saying, well, I'm just going to be indifferent or on the other hand, being reactive with the truth as a weapon. And so trying to figure out how the tone, I think, I think if you focus on tone, well, that's a big part of your blog, yeah, isn't it? it I is. mean, your, your blog has, you've purposely have tried to strike a tone. Could you speak more about that? Yeah. I think about one time, this was when I was first interviewing for my first pastorate. I flew up to uh, Lynchburg. I was interviewing at a church up there and um, sat next to a, a gal who wanted to know what I was doing. And I, I told her uh, we had been having a great conversation up until that point. And then she found out that I was going to interview for a, a pastor position in Lynchburg. And she said, Falwell country. And I promise you, she turned towards the window and would not speak to me the rest of the time, which told me, wow, tone really matters. And so back to what I was saying earlier, you can win the argument and lose the person. Um, how do you, with that non-anxious presence, how do you help people recognize that Christianity has not been, this is Chesterton, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting it's been found difficult and left untried and so trying to help congregations see hey look if you have easily won the the point if it's easy for you to to just make your point then you're probably not really dealing with um complexity and so i've heard people say well complicate the narrative that's a great tactic i think to help people slow down and listen a little bit more. So let's go there a little bit because typically you would think simplicity is a, a better approach. So why complicate the narrative? How does that contribute to slowing down the conversation and maybe fostering greater listening? Yeah, because we carve things up to sides and we don't like complexity. We don't like nuance. We want to solve it. And so we choose a side and we don't belong on a side. If we're divided, then we're in the wrong spot. And I think when you can complicate the narrative a little bit, when you can help somebody see, hey, look, it's not just that easy. Like, for example, <laughs> I remember even being in, in Haiti one time with one of our elders and he was confused about why people just don't go to work. And I said, well, we're in the middle of an economy here that's just broken and maybe they want to work. Well, that's an example of complicating the narrative. He wanted to blame somebody and he wanted to just say, look here, I, I, I want to shirk response, my own responsibility. So let's just, let's just blame the victim. And I think, I think that's an, a good example of how these hot button issues put us on sides and we want to see who's the goat and who's the sheep. And so we ask our litmus test questions and we try to figure out which side you're on. And then we get trained in that. We actually get formed around politics. Uh, we listen to newscasters do this. We, we read columnists who are just really fomenting their base and building an audience that way because it gets clicks, it gets reactions. Yeah. And we're not learning how to have real conversations where we're listening to the real value underneath the the, the position. And never have we needed it greater than we do right now. So that's a great insight. The idea of as you enter into this charged uh, political season to 
maybe slow down the conversation and avoid simplistic solutions, be willing to wade into the waters of nuance and complicate the narrative. Uh, well, I would even down. say, how do you get underneath the issue? Yeah. Because my question is, right. tell somebody, me more why you think that. Tell yeah. me more why you say that. What's, Drive it with questions. Yeah. yeah. But to be curious, yeah, because anytime somebody is upset and they've taken a strong stance on something, they're telling you what they think, but there's also something that's driving it the way they feel. And if you're curious enough, they'll share with you how they feel and why they feel that way. And if you're curious about that, you can find even a hope or a dream or a fear or a wound. And, you know, wouldn't it be amazing to go into this next election cycle and say, you know what, I'm going to be curious about people that disagree, disagree with me. Yeah. I'm going to try to get under the waterline and find out what's really driving this. What's the assumption? What's the fear? What's the wound? What's the hope? What's the dream that makes this person take this position that I so vehemently disagree with? Yeah, I was listening to a podcast that actually as I was driving in this morning with a guy who has written a book on how to get along with coworkers. Uh, <laughs> not because I have any issues at the moment, but uh, it's just a great tips. It, yeah. And he said that curiosity is actually one of the first steps in terms of getting along with a difficult coworker. And it's just being curious about what you said about what's under the waterline. And he suggested a question I thought was really interesting where you said to someone, so what should I know about how you work so that I can factor that into the way in which I work? And when that person answers that question, like I work better on my own or I work better in a team or I work better under the pressure or I work better ahead of time or whatever it might be. He said, the follow-up question is where the real gold is. He said, the follow-up question goes like this. So tell me more. Yeah. Tell Tell me me more more about that. That's good. Tell me more about that. And that's the curiosity question, right? And and yeah, yeah. And I think we don't do enough. uh, I think we need to stoke a little more holy curiosity in others as we have these conversations. Tell me more about that. Well, and, and pastoring good leadership is parenting in a lot of ways. It's wanting to bring out the best in people. It's wanting to discover what they really believe and what they're really capable of. And not in a condescending way, but you know, just, just realizing, hey, that there's potential here. There's untapped potential yeah. I remember, you know, it wasn't too long ago, it was just a few years ago, and somebody was really crossed up with me. They sent me something, and what they, what they expected, it's one of these things where you, you send someone an article, and you're mad, and you want this person to weigh in, that you really want them to confirm that you have every right to be mad. And I didn't pick up on it. I didn't realize that's what was going on. So I got sort of mousetrapped. And uh, I wrote back and I just said, oh, yeah, read this one. I was just totally naive. I said, well, read this. This person has a different perspective, and it just inflamed him. And uh, I just got this diatribe. I said, hey, you sound mad. I'm coming over to your house right now. I'm bringing chicken salad, and I hope you open up the door. And so we spent the next couple hours. Who wouldn't open the door for chicken salad? <laughs> exactly, man. And, and so just to be willing yeah. to turn into that torpedo and say, yeah, tell me more. 
So uh, a couple of my takeaways here, Tim, from our time together, I love the idea of curiosity in terms of helping to complicate the narrative by asking good questions. I love the one statement I'm going to reflect on for the rest of the day is the way up is sometimes the way down. That was a powerful one. Puritan thing. Um, And then this idea of our being desiring beings. That's Augustine, yeah. 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 And I hope perhaps pastors listening in today take away the idea that uh, this idea of having a blog can help you set the tone get ahead of the discussion and kind of lead the discussion in a God-honoring way as you shepherd your congregation through what are going to be upcoming challenging times to have good conversations. For sure. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you coming in today and have enjoyed the conversation as always. Likewise. All right. Thanks a lot. You got it. And if people want to learn more about the blog, where would they go? Yeah, they go to faithanddoubt.com. And if they sign up. and spelled out? A-N-D. Okay. Faithanddoubt.com. And I've got a little ebook. If they want to sign up for getting it in their inbox, they'll get a free ebook that I've written. Okay. Cool beans. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. All right. All right. Well, friends, thank you. I hope this has been an encouragement to you today. And I encourage you to check out faithanddoubt.com. I get that coming into my inbox all the time and read it on a regular basis. And I think you'll be encouraged if you do too. And perhaps spread that word along with others too. So this is just to be clear, it's a, a podcaster who's advocating pushing a blogger. <laughs> so just, just letting you know that we, all things work together for good, right? Okay. Well, we conclude with that good word from God's word, my friend. You want to finish every good conversation with listening to God and what he has to say, and he has the best of all possible words to speak into our lives. We know that God's word goes forth and accomplishes the purposes for which it has been established and does not return void. So we want to end with this good word. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and they're for him. You see, he is before all things, my friends, and in him, that is in Jesus Christ, all things, all things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church. And it's in his name until the next time in which we gather in this way. Uh, We hope that you join us again soon. I bid grace and peace to you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of the entire team, please join us for our next episode. For more information about the EPC, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.